disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, first of a three-part series we're going to do here. Um, they won't necessarily all be in order, but we're going to hear from all three of the candidates for Kentucky governor on the Republican side. Um, there's a good bench here, a good group of candidates. I know them all. I like them all. And I'm going to let you decide which one you think is the right one to be the next governor of Kentucky, because I think whichever one of them wins the primary is going to have a pretty good shot at beating Andy Bashir. Nonetheless, we're going to start it off with Savannah Maddox, and uh, she will join us here in just a moment. First, though, I want to thank Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for their support of this program. You know, I talk about them because Tim and I have been friends a long time. We became friends after he did my kitchen in Oldham County before we sold our house. We, we actually lived there for a few years with the work that he had done, and it was amazing. We enjoyed it. It took our kitchen from a blah to, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have people over because I want to entertain in this room. It was really beautiful. And I'm confident that when we sold our house to move to Colorado, it sold in less than a day. I'm confident that a big part of that was the beauty of that kitchen. And we liked that work so much we had him do our master bathroom as well. So you will not go wrong with Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. 502-930-3304. They've got designers on staff, or if you're a do-it-yourselfer, they have cabinets in stock and ready to go. 502-930-3304. Tim Montgomery at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. All right, now our conversation with the great Savannah Maddox. Savannah, welcome back. How are you? Doing very well. It's a pleasure to be on, Leland. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get a bunch of secondhand hate on uh, social media for having an extremist <laughs> on my show scares me just saying uh no no seriously uh you seem to be a fan of liberty for some reason i don't know what's going on with that hey it's the craziest thing but i think in the commonwealth of kentucky our citizens are ready for a republican governor who will lead from the front on principle will uphold the constitution and defend our individual liberties and freedoms so when governor bashir when the pandemic began, one of the first actions that he took was to send the state police to churches that were defying his order. And what's interesting about this, Savannah, is they weren't really defying his order. In some cases, they just set up PA systems outside and people would be sitting in their cars listening to the church service. And the state police were having to write down their license plate to, I guess, ostensibly turn it over to some health department somewhere who would then come knock on their door and uh, and annoy them. Um do you think Kentuckians are going to remember that in the next election? I absolutely think that they will. And I think that now is the time that we have to redefine the appropriate role of government to reflect the vision that our founders intended. And as you've said, in the context of Andy Bashir's shutdowns and mandates and all of the things that transpired, not just the Kentucky State Police having been tasked with writing down the license plates of churchgoers and our businesses being shut down and an interstate travel ban, all of those things were a part of what that was ignored by the other Republicans who are, you know, lining up to run for governor, whereas Oh, just over a week from the time that Bashir issued the state of emergency, I began to file legislation to put a stop to his overreach. And the other folks who are Republican that are 
gubernatorial candidates, they refused to speak out when it mattered most. And I think that the fact that I was willing to stand up early from day one and resist COVID tyranny has really resonated with citizens across the Commonwealth. Well, and and to be fair, you're in a position to do that as a legislator. Uh, Also, to be fair, I know that uh, there were some early discussions about some of these lockdowns with Attorney General Cameron. My my, the catch twenty two I'm in with this race is that um, I like all three of you. <laughs> I'm good friends with you and with Ryan Quarles and with Daniel Cameron. And it's like there, this is this is a good uh, bench to choose from for Kentuckians. And it's kind of the same situation I was in when I moderated a debate between Rand Paul and Trey Grayson years ago. Um, I am friends with both of those guys and both of those guys were terrific people. Ultimately, I do think the right guy won that race in, in Rand Paul, who's now become, I think, a national treasure. Um, but, you know, you were in a position as a legislator and you did go right to work on this stuff. Sure. And every one of us, though, every Republican elected official, particularly a constitutional officer that has a platform, has the ability to stand up whenever our constitutional rights are being violated. And I agree with you that I think it's a sign of strength within the Republican Party that we do have so many folks, who, uh, you know, many of whom I consider to be friends running. But that said, Leaders lead, even when it's not politically expedient or popular, and uh, some of those folks were waiting for polling data to come in on Bashir's favorability, and they they were late to the game, so to speak, to even speak out against the overreach that was taking place. And I think that moving forward, now that we are hopefully in the post-COVID era, in so much as the mandates and lockdowns have stopped, we are dealing with the economic repercussions of having shut down the economy. And it's going to take someone who has both the courage and the experience to make those tough decisions that it's going to take to get our Commonwealth back on the path of prosperity. Let's do a little hypothetical. Let's say you're in office and we're we're seeing a resurgence of covid right now <clears throat> i say with air quotes because i predicted this uh, maybe you want to call it the midterm variant uh it's coming around just as i said i actually said back in 6 months ago on my radio show in denver i said you watch around late july early august we're going to start hearing about mask mandates again we're going to start scaring people again and all of that is designed to push more mail in balloting to push more people away from the polls that would show up at the polls, which tend to be more conservatives. They're going to do what they can. I think Americans are done with it, but they're going to do what they can. But let's say, let's say there's a new variant. You've just been elected governor. This one's going through like wildfire. Um, how are you going to react to that? What are you, what are you going to do to try to stop a pandemic? If it's, if you were in Bashir's shoes at that time, what would you have done? I have faced this question a myriad of times, and my answer remains consistent that it is the appropriate role of government to provide accurate, up-to-date information to its citizens in order in order to enable Kentuckians to make good decisions for themselves and their families. It is not the appropriate role of government to remove a citizen's ability to earn a wage or to force them to wear a mask or to force them to receive a vaccine against their will. All of those things were serious infringements upon our constitutional rights and liberties. And it's very clear to me, Kentucky's next governor is going to be a Republican in all likelihood 
And the question becomes, will it be a governor like Ron DeSantis, who was willing to uphold the Constitution and defend uh, the rights and liberties of the citizens of Florida? Or is it going to be another go along to get along, fence straddling moderate like Mike DeWine, who frankly kind of set the course for Andy Bashir in his mandates and lockdowns? Why do you think Andy Bashir reacted the way he did? And why do you think the media, uh, I, I jokingly, uh, was you know kind of memeing like govern me harder daddy but i think the media actually said that i think there was actually a member of the media that tweeted that out along with a video of andy Bashir giving one of his press conferences i mean like lap dogs they sat and lapped up the things that he was saying ultimately it didn't turn out to be as popular as the media banked on but why do you think they went that route what's your theory on that I think that Andy Bashir, like many other progressive leftist Democrats, has a very different philosophy about the role of government. They uh, tend to view the role of government as being more pervasive, not instructional but to actually have powers and authorities that i believe supersede both the kentucky constitution and our u.s constitution and i feel like he felt that the answer to all of this was the shutdowns that he, that he had the authority to do the things that he did but i personally do not believe that's the appropriate role of government and i believe that kentuckians were and are smart enough to make good decisions for themselves and their families whether it's about a virus that's going around or any other matter i have a different theory you want to hear it sure all right so i think i think it was part of a a collusive effort nationwide by major metropolitan city leaders and whatever democrat governors they could recruit to take out a sitting president i firmly believe and will always believe that they took advantage of the pandemic because the economy and, and i have a lot of criticisms of trump he's not my favorite person in the world I'm a big fan of Ron DeSantis. I'm a libertarian, really, when it comes down to it. So there's not really ever anybody in these races that I would say that they line up with me 100%. But I'm also a pragmatic. So I look at it as, well, if we can agree on 80%, then we can be we can be friends, right? But I think that the only way to take out the president at the time was to destroy the economy. And I think they did it on purpose. Now, maybe that's tinfoil hat wearing, but there was just there's just it was just too coincidental that there was so much effort because here's the thing, Savannah, they have never, ever, ever reacted to a pandemic in this way. And now we have Dr. Burks's book out where she's patting herself on the back about how she lied to the Trump administration and to others about covid data uh, so that she could push that lockdown agenda. In my opinion, this was on purpose and it was designed to give them power. That, that's my opinion. You can weigh in on that if you want, or, or we can skip to the next question. But that's that's what well, I think. I can and say may, this maybe, as well. Maybe Bashir was a useful idiot. Like maybe he really did think that this is the right thing to do and he was just useful. Or maybe he was part of that. I don't know. That's just my theory. Well, it does not matter what his personal opinions were of the severity of COVID. We can look back and see that no action taken on behalf of state government did anything to curtail the severity or the spread of COVID. But that said, look at the economic consequences that have been wrought. And, you know, I would take the position that the look at inflation now and look at what this injection of federal dollars into shutdown states has done we have always had workforce participation rate 
problems among able-bodied adults here in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, but it hit an all-time low back in June of 2021 of 53.8% among able-bodied adults. You essentially had a situation where Kentuckians were being paid to sit at home and the private sector was having to compete with the government. Mm -hmm. To me, that's is part of a much bigger problem like uh, back in March of 2020 whenever Congressman Thomas Massey had the foresight to demand a recorded vote on the nation's largest spending bill in our entire history at that time because he understood where this was heading. He understood that you couldn't just, you know, pass out a windfall of federal dollars into these shutdown states without having severe repercussions. And now that we're paying an inflated price on almost every good and service mm -hmm. uh, that we purchase and, and the price of gas and so many of these things, you know, we, we often refer to them as unintended consequences. But in reality, the extent to which the citizens have been more uh, inclined to rely on public assistance. Is it really unintended or is that just a greater part of the left's scheme to increase the size of government? Yeah. That's what we have to fight against. Why do you why do you think that is that because you're right, Kentucky has how always had an inordinate number of people that were able bodied that were sitting on the sidelines. Why is that? Because I'm a Kentuckian. And I, I was raised by Kentuckians where, you know, both sides of my family on my grandparents, they, they were they were tobacco farmers. Um, well, actually, long story. Anyway, my dad went to live with his uncle. His uncle was a you know tobacco farmer. My grandparents did it. I was raised with a work ethic that, frankly, is is unparalleled. And, and I know a lot of hardworking Kentuckians. Why do we have that problem of so many able bodied adults sitting on the sidelines because you're right it is pre-pandemic that that was an issue and it was made even worse by the government coming in and giving out these checks yes kentucky's workforce participation rate has been below the national average and you know i just want to emphasize that you are correct kentuckians are among the most hard-working industrious people in our nation and they take a lot of pride in their work ethic however i do believe that the problem with workforce participation rate among able-bodied adults centralizes around this cycle of dependence on public assistance programs and the answer to getting able-bodied kentuckians back to work is to take a hard look at substantive reform of those public assistance programs now i'm not talking about pulling the rug out from under anyone who is in legitimate need of public assistance because you know that's what those systems are designed for but in order to make sure that they're solvent for the folks who really need them and that able-bodied kentuckians are back to work we absolutely need to engage in medicaid reform and reform of other social assistance programs okay but this is where the conversation gets hard savannah because we have we have like this huge region of Kentucky that is a national treasure if you look at it one way, but it's also a national disaster if you look at it the other way. And I know you know I'm talking about eastern Kentucky when it comes to economics. No governor's ever been able to solve this problem ever since they began shutting coal down. Um, you're not going to be in a position as governor to revive coal any more than you know the federal government will allow you to do. And one of the issues is that we as Kentuckians love our home. You know, there's the saying that if you meet a Kentuckian outside the state, they're either um, 
uh, on their way home or thinking about it, right? <laughs> right, thinking about going home. And and sure. and so we love our home, and so we that we have a tendency as Kentuckians to stay in our home, to stay where we grew up. Um, which isn't always a bad thing, but when you live in an area that is so economically depressed as Eastern Kentucky is, and when it's literally under attack by the federal government in terms of the resources that they do have, how do you, how would you as governor approach fixing the issue of poverty in Eastern Kentucky? Well, it's well accepted that former president Obama all but killed the coal industry in Eastern Kentucky and put a lot of folks out of work. And I think that the answer in creating new jobs in terms of the government's role is and has always been at the state level to deregulate private industry to the full extent that is possible to do away with any antiquated or overly burdensome regulations so that private industry can thrive. And yes, you are correct that, you know, there will be regulations at the federal level that, you know, we will have to we will have to approach in a different facet. But I will say this, you know, in the context of serving in the legislature, I can't tell you how many times that we pass legislation uh, in which we agree to abide by federal regulations in exchange for a funding stream. And that's something that needs to change as well. I feel that in the Commonwealth, we are in desperate need of tax reform in so much as that that will lead to greater economic growth as well. In the past, all of the tax reform efforts that I have seen in the legislature have kind of centralized around moving away from a production-based model towards consumption, which is good, generally speaking, but there has tended to be a tendency to just move the tax around to a different service industry or to a different area as opposed to lowering taxes. And I'm of the mind that any tax reform package must coincide with spending cuts and it has to be either revenue neutral or revenue negative or it's not really tax reform at all. Okay, I want to come back to tax reform because that's an important sure. issue. Um, but let's go back to the question of reviving Eastern Kentucky because we can cut taxes and we can cut regulation. But what is going to make Eastern Kentucky attractive to businesses locating there, even if the regulatory atmosphere is better? Well, I think two things. Any individual who will claim to fix a long-standing problem in Eastern Kentucky overnight as being myopic or disingenuous. That said, I do believe that one of the things that former Governor Matt Bevin excelled at was marketing our beautiful Commonwealth. And I think that the next governor is going to have to take a very proactive role in demonstrating what a terrific assets Kentucky can be to any potential corporation or employer that would want to relocate here. I think that that's fundamental and I really would not underemphasize the importance of deregulation in order to allow businesses to prosper to the full extent that they're able. Yeah, but I mean, if you're going to come to Kentucky, you're probably going to come to someplace close to Louisville or Lexington where you've got interstate access. One of the issues with Eastern Kentucky is that um, you know, unlike Gatlinburg, Tennessee, where you have the big tourism and, and, you know, going over the mountains, there's an interstate that passes through it. And, you know, that southeastern sector of Kentucky below I-64, it, it's not a highly trafficked area. It's difficult to get in and out. It doesn't have the best infrastructure that is out there. And, 
So, so I mean, I, I mean, would you approach it from let's give them better infrastructure? I mean, that's that's after all one of government's basic jobs. Would you approach it from an incentivization situation, like like Rand Paul's opportunity zones, and maybe a combination of both, or how would you look at that? Well, I think in the context of serving in the legislature, we have focused on providing infrastructure for Eastern Kentucky because, you know, I, I would make the argument that we have some of the most beautiful lakes and mountain country and tourism is an incredible opportunity for Eastern Kentucky. And we have yet to fully unleash the power that that could bring to that region. So I think anything that we can do, um, you know, as, if I am elected governor, I will work with the legislature, not against it, like Andy Bashir has done, to make sure that we maximize every opportunity in Eastern Kentucky in terms of providing infrastructure in the context of the appropriate role of government, of course, but to really do what we can to emphasize the natural beauty of that region to attract folks, but even outside the tourism aspect, but to market that region as an untapped resource for corporations that would be interested in moving in. I know it'd be difficult from an engineering standpoint, but I would love to see um, an interstate connector that left out of Lexington and went southeast and then over into Virginia and maybe connected with, you know, the area around Bristol, Tennessee or Johnson City, Tennessee, somewhere in there. Uh, because I think that would be what would open up tourism. It would be a beautiful drive, number one. Um, you know, it might cut some time off, say, a trip to Myrtle Beach uh, if it's engineered correctly, or it might cut time off a trip to an area like Raleigh, North Carolina, or or Charlotte, North Carolina, where you're having, you know, there, there's there's good reason to try to transport stuff through there. For me, that would make sense, like because again, that's what government is supposed to be providing. But if you had an interstate. You know, it becomes so much easier for people to get in and out of there. And then you would probably see tourism prop up around there, especially if you had the opportunity zone tax incentives and that kind of thing. Well, and I also think that in terms of agriculture, there's a tremendous opportunity for deregulation at the state level in so much as there are existing regulations, particularly with regard to poultry and other industries that if we were to take a long, hard look at that and to engage in the type of deregulation that I speak of, it would be beneficial not just to Eastern Kentucky, but also Western Kentucky and the entire Commonwealth, frankly. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Comer, who's now serving in Congress, former ag director, and I know that um, that uh, Ryan has picked up a lot where he's left off on the hemp side, but Jamie and I had many conversations on the radio about how, for whatever reason, hemp grows really well on the side of those Eastern Kentucky hills. Um, and to incentivize that and the material making that can take place, you know, you, you grow the hemp there and then you, then you manufacture the products there. Uh, I, I just, I don't sign off on like, I, I don't sign off on Eastern Kentucky as if it's not got hope. I think there's a number of innovative things that can be done that could really bring life to that area and allow people that are from there because it's a special culture. I mean, you know, I, I know so many people from that part of the state. And like you said, it's, it's one of the most beautiful areas of the country, in my opinion. Um, it's a, it, there's a good reason why people don't want to leave it if they don't have to. And, and I'd love to be able to see that, that kind of economic freedom flourish down there in a way it hasn't in the past. So um, tax reform, you mentioned it. Uh, I'll ask you like I've asked Governor Bevin and like I've asked Governor Bashir and like I've asked Governor Bashir before him, his dad, um, his dad actually met with me. Steve Bashir met with me in his office with this proposal. He had handwritten notes on it. I know he read it. He didn't do anything with it, but he did at least meet with me. 
And that was to eliminate the income tax altogether in Kentucky so that we're more competitive with states like Tennessee and others. How do you feel about that? I'm in favor of eliminating the income tax. And this past session, there was a proposal to lower the income tax and then ratchet it down proportionately year after year that passed out of the House. And unfortunately, it came back from the Senate looking entirely different than it left. So I wasn't able to support it. But, you know, the ultimate goal here, understanding that Tennessee is currently eating our lunch, look at Nashville and how much it's oh growing. God, yeah. and, you know, it's 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 pretty incredible. But there are aspects of Indiana's tax code and Tennessee's tax code that are very much worth emulating. But I would add the caveat that with regard to Tennessee, their consumption side taxes, uh, particularly with regard to local option sales taxes, mm -hmm. yep. that's not something that I would want to replicate in Kentucky. And I think that some of what we've seen come out of Indiana is, is probably, probably a better framework. But, you know, when we talk about states like Florida or states like Texas that don't have an income tax, you know, we, we don't have Disney World, we don't have beaches, and we're not Texas. We don't have that tech industry and, you know, some of the other ancillary aspects that have allowed them to completely do away with their income tax. But that said, I think that Kentucky's tax modernization should centralize around lowering the income tax, doing away with it eventually, and focusing on consumption taxes, but at the same time, you have to weigh in that, again, it needs to be revenue neutral or revenue negative in that it should coincide with spending cuts. We should not be growing the size of governments. We should be eradicating wasteful government spending. And I'll also would posit that the workforce development aspect of that, meaning getting those able-bodied Kentuckians back to work, not only is it good for them as individuals, but it is good for our tax base as well. If they're working and they're in the system and they're paying taxes, it's going to be beneficial all the way around. Yeah, I think the thing I like, even though, you know, you mentioned Tennessee eating our lunch. I mean, yeah, that sucks that they have some pretty high local option sales taxes. However, with a sales tax, you always get to choose, right? And with an income tax, you don't get to choose. The government takes it from you. But I also understand the need to maybe do that over time uh, in a pragmatic way because if you are cutting taxes on a regular basis, you're probably going to be attracting businesses. You attract those businesses. You can eventually get to that place where we no longer say Kentucky doesn't have XYZ. Kentucky will have sure. XYZ. But let's broaden the base by creating jobs yeah. and getting able-bodied Kentuckians no, back into it. the workforce. Let's yeah. not broaden the base by just spreading the tax around somewhere else. And that has been my criticism. Although, you know, I appreciate and applaud the fact that the legislature is trying to reform our tax system. I mean, it's it's been the product of Democrat rule for so long. It's It's incredibly... Um, problematic in that way. But that said, what they have sought to do is to essentially expand the taxation to different service industries. Right. And you're putting government in the role of picking winners and losers. So I think that that's problematic. And as far as local option sales taxes, you're essentially just passing the buck and saying, okay, local government, jack that tax right on up. And I well, have been opposed yeah, to I'm local option sales taxes. I have to disagree with you here. Okay. I got to challenge you a little bit. Okay. So first of all, when it comes to spreading it around the government picking winners and losers, that's not the case. If you're taxing fairly and you say this is a consumption tax, it's on all services and products that are not what we would consider to be necessities, groceries and medical supplies. 
anything else gets a flat five or six percent tax. And actually, he used to be in the state legislature. My friend Bill Farmer, who's now out in Las Vegas, um, he actually had done the work on this and found that a 5.5% flat sales tax across the board on all services except medical and uh, groceries would in fact be revenue neutral. That's the plan that I presented to Governor uh, Steve Bashir initially. And the other thing is when you come to those local taxes, as Republicans, you're always talking about local control, local governance, getting it as close to the people as possible. Yes, those local institutions can raise taxes, but they are accountable to the very people that elect them in those areas, giving those people more choices over what they want to see that tax rate as. So Sure, and I don't disagree because you, you are giving people the liberty to choose and how they're assessed in so much as it corresponds with their spending habits. But the distinction between what you're talking about and what the legislature has done that I have opposed is that it has not been taxing all service gotcha. industries except for essential ones. It has been choosing 18 service right. industries, for yeah. example, like in 2018 with what they tried. And there were some that were curiously left off, like, for example, legal services, which, you know, I'm, I'm the horse. You can industry. make the argument. Well, yeah, you can make <laughs> the argument that legal services are essential. And that that's that's not an argument that I'm, you know, trying to make that it's not essential. But what I'm trying to say here is that it's it's a function of picking winners and losers yeah. and saying, okay, this service industry, you're going to get it. Uh, lawn care, you're going to get it, but not if it's lawn care related to the horse industry. That's the kind of yeah. picking winners and losers that I am not in favor of. But that said, consumption is a great thing. It is a far more appropriate way to assess. Well, and I, 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 I want to say you're absolutely right because I remember when I was on the air in WHAS in Louisville talking about this very thing because – Governor Bevin was pushing it as well. But the problem was the proposals that the Republicans were coming up with at the time did exactly what you just said. They instead of doing what Bill Farmer's proposal was, and that was broad base across the board, unless it was medical or groceries, period, end of story. They were trying to do exactly what you said. And, and that is I am I am dead fast against that. It has to be broad across the board, not just broad. Broad's a dumb word. It has to be all of it, right? It has to be these two exclusions only and everything else this rate. And if you do that, that was based on his calculations at the time, revenue neutral, and then you can cut or grow from there. But you're 100% right. They were trying to do it selectively, which means as we know, because uh, we don't have casinos in Kentucky. We have not a casinos, right? I mean, no. you know, there's certain industries that get a pass when other industries don't. And that's got to stop because that's one of the reasons why, you know, Mark Twain was right when he said, I want to be in Kentucky at the end of the world because it's going to be 20 years behind. We still have certain industries that are able to rule the state in ways that they should not be allowed to do. Without a doubt. And, you know, the proportionality is key. The revenue neutrality or, you know, even being revenue negative in certain circumstances. And, you know, as far as like local option sales tax and things of that nature, you know, it's something that I could be far more amenable to if we were willing to do away with the property tax on motor vehicles, for instance. I'm just not seeing <laughs> right. uh, in the past any type of conversation about what we're cutting at the state level right. that would lend itself to that being revenue neutral. But I am not going to support anything that's going to raise taxes on hardworking Kentuckians. That's a step in the wrong direction. If we want to grow our economy, it is the time-tested true method of cutting taxation. All right, a couple other questions. I, I'm not going to ask you how you feel about guns because I know how you feel about guns. Uh, <laughs> there's nobody in this race on the Republican side that has any qualms whatsoever with the Second Amendment. However, 
Well, um, as we, what was that? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say this. No, I, I I agree with you that everyone in this race will say that they're pro Second Amendment. But that said, I am the only one that has actually spoken out in opposition to red flag laws. Because as you all know, at the federal level, right. um, we have had some folks, some moderate Republicans that have voted in yes. favor of this package that would uh, allow of this legislation, I should say, that would allow uh, for states or encourage states and send states to pass a red flag law in exchange for grant funding and well, i'm the only person in this field who has spoken up and opposed that and i've opposed red flag laws since they were first discussed in 2019 in kentucky and and to your point um incentive is a bad word because it's not really an incentive it's a uh, bribery it's uh do this or you won't get this money that's yes that's what it is um but the reason i want to bring this up real quick was uh that right now the president is still being the drum on the assault weapons ban um we have the democrats in the house of representatives trying to pass an assault weapons ban it won't but believe me they're they're working very hard to try to find some way around the second amendment obviously in indiana just the other day we saw a young hero that took out a mass shooter from 40 yards away with a pistol by the way um that's a tough shot obviously good guys with guns save save people all the time what will be your stance as governor if the political tide in Washington switches to pro-gun control and they try to ban assault weapons nationwide at the federal level? I will never support gun control. I never have. In fact, I can remember, Leland, back in 2019, whenever opponents of constitutional carry, which is a bill that I filed and ended up passing in 2019, carried the Senate version to its passage. I remember whenever folks were saying, oh, we're going to turn Kentucky into the Wild West. <laughs> not only not only has that not happened, but we clearly see from what transpired at Greenwood Mall that it is fundamentally wrong to restrict a law-abiding citizen's ability to defend themselves from the lawless. Right. And these so-called gun-free zones are such an incredible detriment to the ability of law-abiding citizens to defend themselves. They don't work. In fact, criminals who seek to harm and destroy innocent lives they appear to seek out these so-called gun-free zones so i am 100 percent opposed to gun control measures um not just in the context of at the state level but you know i've been vocally opposed to any type of gun control that they've been discussing at the federal level and i have actively sought in the commonwealth of kentucky to expand our ability to exercise our second amendment rights i've been trying to abolish so-called gun-free zones i filed that bill uh, every year that I have been in office, I've worked on constitutional carry and a whole host of other measures. I've got a resolution opposing the adoption of a so-called red flag law. The answer to this problem where these gun grabbers are, are thinking that gun control is the answer, it is absolutely not the answer. The answer is to further enable law-abiding citizens to defend themselves from the lawless. Well, and thank God that Eli Dickin ignored the Greenwood Mall anti-gun policy and carried his firearm anyway, because that's what allowed him to save lives in that situation. 
Yeah, so. and and who knows how many lives were saved that day? And I'm I'm so grateful for his bravery, and I'm grateful that Indiana passed a constitutional carry law. Kentucky was the 15th state, I believe, at that time yep. in 2019. Yep. You know, it was it was a little bit of an uphill battle because although we do have a Republican supermajority of 105 out of 138, it is difficult sometimes to be proactive and actually expanding our Second Amendment rights. But there is no reason that Kentucky cannot be the most pro-Second Amendment state in the nation. And uh, if I am elected governor, that is precisely what I will work with the legislature to accomplish. I don't know which Kentucky Supreme Court justice it was, and I don't know when they said this, but I, my a friend of mine told me a story, and I believe it was when there was a discussion of a case that came before the Kentucky Supreme Court about um, Castle Doctrine, duty to retreat. And one of those justices was uh, quoted as saying that a Kentuckian knows no duty to retreat. And I've always loved that because, um, you know, we're not provocateurs in Kentucky. We tend to sit on the porch and kind of chill and and welcome everybody and wait. But don't get on our fighting side because a lot of people that went to war for freedom have come out of this state. So it's like, yeah, we don't we we may not necessarily we're not going to be the one that provokes it. But by God, we'll defend our families, you know. So I don't know. I just have always loved that. Last question for you, Savannah Maddox. Um, If uh, if you're governor. Will you lead an opportunity to legalize medical marijuana? I have co-sponsored medical marijuana ever since I've been in office. I've voted in favor of it in committee as well as on the House floor in so much as I am in favor of allowing physicians prescribing medications to ameliorate human suffering, particularly in palliative care, end-of-life circumstances, things of that nature. Why is it that nearly... Every I mean, if it just I mean, it's like 80 something percent of Kentuckians are in favor of this. You, you ask any state legislator, they'll tell you they're in favor of it. And yet, for some reason, it's failed every time it's gone to a vote. That's the Senate. And I would be remiss to speculate. Perhaps you can speculate <laughs> why it is that the Senate will not pass something that has enjoyed broad based support in the House. Reforma. Again, Reforma. I feel as though <laughs> sorry I, I feel as a sneeze <laughs> attack there I apologize physicians should be able to uh prescribe medications that can ameliorate human suffering and to me it's a no-brainer but um unfortunately the senate has continued to be an impediment all right before I let you go what does Savannah Maddox do in her free time if you have any I don't have a lot of free time at this juncture because I have been traveling all across the Commonwealth and uh, meeting with freedom-loving patriots all over the state who are looking for change. They want to redefine the appropriate role of government to reflect that vision that the founders intended. But uh, in my spare time, when I do have it, I enjoy playing guitar with my daughter and oh, my really? son. What, what type yes. of music do you play? We play all different kinds of music and we play electric and acoustic. I feel I feel We're like not. I feel like you're a Led Zeppelin type. I, I, I enjoy some Led Zeppelin. My daughter in particular likes Led Zeppelin, but we play country, we play rock. I myself tend to enjoy Dire Straits and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pink Floyd and, and some of those guitar heavy type uh 
type songs. But that said, in, in no way, shape, or form am I implying that I'm good at it. <laughs> I'm just now learning. I, this gonna, is something. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get one of your kids to send me a clip, and then we're gonna play it. That's what well, we're gonna do. Well, we we actually posted a video that uh, of of us playing not too terribly long ago. My daughter and me, where we were playing. But this is something that I picked up actually during the shutdowns. I I was trying to put a lot of energy into protesting the lockdowns, mandates, doing everything that I could to speak up. But uh, in my spare time, I went and bought a guitar because I said, I'm going to use this time to pick up a skill. I love it. Yeah, I love it when people did that. Uh, That was the one good thing that maybe came out of the pandemic. So, all right. Well, if we can find that link of you posting that, we will put it in the uh, blog portion of this post on the website. Savannah, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for your flexibility and getting with us. And uh, we appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Thanks, Lee. It's a pleasure. Yeah, you too. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right. So, cool. We've got a strong bench in the Kentucky race for governor. We're going to talk to all three of the main candidates, uh, Daniel Cameron, Ryan Quarles. I I like all of them. Uh, Your job is to choose. I don't, you know me, I don't do endorsements. I I really haven't ever really endorsed many candidates. Um, But, you know, my job is to get them in front of you and and then you listen to what they have to say and decide if that's something that you like. So anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, Thank you to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, for their awesome support of this program. We wouldn't be able to do it without them. Uh, LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com if you want to find out more about this great business. Tim Montgomery and his crew love, they, they, they love their jobs. They are craftsmen and they take a lot of pride in it. And uh, you won't be sorry if you go with them for your kitchen. If you're thinking about upgrading your kitchen, remodeling your kitchen, maybe flipping your house, I don't know. Whatever it is, uh, these guys can help you with it. And they can go turnkey remodel, like literally you just hand them the keys, walk away, come back, brand new kitchen, completely refurbished all the way around. Or maybe you are somewhat of a do-it-yourselfer and you just need the cabinets and you want a certain style. They've got all those in stock. They've got designers on uh, staff. They're going to take care of you. Here's the number, 502-930-3304. By the way, I can say this with a lot of authority because they took care of us. I actually had them do my kitchen and then they did such a good job that I had them do my master bathroom. So I highly recommend these guys. 502-930-3304, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Also, a big thanks to Dynamics Audio Productions. They help uh, uh, approve the quality of the audio of this program. So we're super uh, excited to have them around with us. And it's dxaudio.com if you want more information. And uh, you can download the podcast for free at iHeartRadio. It's on the app there. Just search the Disruption Zone or do the same on Apple Podcasts or Google Play because we're on all of those options. It's a free subscription. You can get fresh episodes delivered to your pocket. That's it for me. I am Leland Conway. Thanks for listening to the Disruption Zone.